It's a Punk Rock Classrooms podcast, episode 37, Changing Education. Good morning, good afternoon. You're probably not commuting unless you're working summer school or you're a 12-month employee like me. Maybe you're, maybe you are driving to and from a vacation destination, just like Josh and I did uh, this past week. But I am Mike, principal extraordinaire from Lansing, Illinois. And this is Josh Buckley, a Title I specialist from Mesa, Arizona. And we want to welcome you to the Punk Rock Classrooms podcast, where Mike and I talk about sprinkling passion, unity, and DIY into what we do every day as educators. Yeah, you don't have to have your mesh trucker cap or or your thick framed black glasses like we both have just to be a part of the Punk Rock Classrooms podcast. We all can be, it's all taking that, that those three tenets that Josh talked about and implementing them into our schools and classrooms to bring that punk rock mindset to, to our kids, to make it a better place for everyone, right? That's right. That's right. And That's so right. this episode, we're kicking off sort of a summer uh, series and summer discussion that we want to have. We're, we're going to, we're having uh, a number of guests on, we're doing some interview, like collections of stuff this summer. And we want to talk this summer, we want to take an opportunity to talk about the idea of, well, what do we want to change about education, right? Right, right. Um, there, there's that moment, uh, Every year when you go, why do we do this? Right. It happens every, maybe it happens every week for you as an educator. Maybe it happens every day <laughs> as an educator. You go, why do we do this? Well, we want to kind of talk about that. And, and, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about Mike and I, what we, what we see is something we'd like to change. I want to talk a little bit about what we threw it out to the crew on the internets and ask them what they're thinking about. And then we want to kind of lay out what we've got going on this summer with these conversations. So, Mike, let's get after it. Let's get after it. Let's talk about it. First, we have to admit, like, as punk rock kids who are now punk rock adults, <laughs> there is this sort of mindset, this buck the system, this fight the man, this like, you know, if you will, anarchy sort of concept that that runs through punk. And I, I think that that's a part of being you know, a punk rock educator is this idea of right. like going, you know what, there are things that we can change. There are things that we should do differently. There are parts of the system that we should rage against, right? Rage against the machine, tear it down, do something different. So f- for you as an educator, having been a classroom teacher, now a building leader, what's something about education that you want to change and why? You know, I'm not going to spend too much time on it because we did, we kind of done two whole episodes on it. Um, Before we sat down, I had a a ton of ideas of things I want to change, but I think if I could, was given the option to change one thing, just one thing only, it would be our assessments and how we assess students. You know, we had Dave Schmidt on, did a whole episode with him. You know, he has his book, Make an Assessment Work for Educators that Hate um, Assessment. Um, yeah, and, and not so much our local assessments. I mean, there's things I'd want to change with that as well. Um, you know, we use MAP NWEA, NWEA in my district, but I think it's, it's the state assessment. And I just feel, you know, we, we did our whole episode, Josh, a couple months ago 
when when state assessment rolled around like we didn't do it last year and you if you could go back to march april of 2020 when every educator was like look schools didn't crumble <laughs> everything kept going on and we right. didn't we didn't assess our kids but it's i just there's there's a purpose to it but i think if there was a way to to change it to make it different because the people who are looking and analyzing these results aren't the ones in classrooms. They're not the ones leading schools. They're not the ones making decisions for our kids. They don't know our kids that are sitting there taking that test. And it's almost, you know, it's like that gotcha mentality. Like we want to see who they're, they're going to say are the best schools based on this one, two, three day assessment of kids. I mean, right. let's face it, you know, in my level elementary, and even junior high, once you get into high school, no one looks at your middle school and elementary state assessment scores. No. <laughs> they're they're, they're So we put all of this pressure on our teachers, like, hey, you know, you don't want to teach the test, but, you know, you, you're going to, it's going to be reflected on yeah. how your students do when we analyze the data the first day of school next year in front of everyone. Like, it's just, there's so much pressure you know, and for me, like I've, you know, I wrote a blog about it. We've talked about it. Like I never put that as my focus. I feel if you do all these other things, building relationships, you know, getting your kids engaged just in your daily class every day, getting families involved, those scores will rise. Um, But there's so many educators and there's so many districts that they make that their main focus. Like we want to be on the top of that hill. Because essentially, especially in Illinois, that's what it is. You've got your five or six schools on the top of the hill. They're probably never going to get knocked off. So the rest of us are just fighting each other, trying to claw our way up there with this ever-changing imaginary cutoff line. Right. The, the, what's it, our cut score this year? It, oh, a right. bunch of kids did too good. So the cut score is higher. A bunch of kids didn't do very good. So the cut scores, I mean, that's the, that's the strange thing about it. And, and I think you're right. And a whole bunch of people agreed with you on, right. on the internet. So we've got a bunch of that we're going to share at the end of the show. But for me, so like, Mike, what do you, if we're, I know that in Arizona, we have that, we have move on when reading. So if you don't pass your reading in third grade. Indiana has that too. Both my can, kids went through it. Yeah. You can hold, you hold you, back. You can hold kids back. Right. Um, and, you know, there are arguments for the idea of like, well, we're going to keep them back. They're going to get that third grade support again and, and all of that. But, but I, I, I agree with you. I think that we put a ton of emphasis on something that, that might not be the most useful all the right. time. Right. And think of the amount of days that we take out of the school year to prep for, to give, yep. to do when we could use that time to actually, actually teach teach to actually educate to actually help kids get those skills um and in reality what does that data what does that data necessarily help you do to support those kids in the moment right like you don't get it until the summer right right? we just got our we just got our state standardized testing data so you we, we won't as a teacher you don't have those kids anymore you can't use it anymore and so what you just have to go is you have to go like, oh, maybe I didn't teach that as well. But you don't know that because there's so many outlying factors. Well, that's a thing. Like we give it, yeah, we'll, we'll get it in the summer. So it's funny though, because so this year in Illinois, 
there's like the state assessment does not count at all, but we're still taking it. So, yeah. so, so some, some schools, some districts in Illinois have already taken it like ours, where some had the option to take it in the fall. Right. So they had, we got our raw scores of our kids who actually took it. But I, when I look at it, I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at because what, what are we comparing them to? What is this showing us? It's just showing me how they did on this assessment. But anyway, but yeah, so we'll get our scores in a normal year in the summer and then the first day of school, you know, usually it's like part of one of our institute days, like because that's the that's the best way to set the tone for the school year. Right. right? Hey, let's look at your data from last year and see who's better than who. Um, which obviously I never go about it that way, but you know, we we give them the data, these teachers the data, and it's like, well, here's how your kids did last year. And there's always so look at what your kids missed, and that's what we need to focus on. But I don't understand that because you have a new group of kids. You have a new group of personalities. Right. You have a whole new group of learners that just because maybe these kids didn't do well on multiplying fractions, that doesn't mean your kids this year are going to have that same struggle. Right. And, and you, and, and again, in order to make that data useful, you have to pair your new teachers with your old teachers, take a whole lot of time. Mm-hmm. Not that that's not that that can't be useful, but is there like, can't we get that same information from the benchmark data you had along the way? Right. Oh, yeah, like definitely we're, we could. When, when we're doing, you know, when you're taking kids through benchmark data or a cadence testing or whatever it is throughout the year, that data is probably way more useful because as an educator, right. I'm giving that assessment. I know what I'm asking. I know what you know, what they got wrong. I know why they got it. All those things are are probably far more helpful. Right. But I I agree with you. That thing is one of those things. And and so what would you do differently then, Mike? How do you change it? Well, if I could have just completely eliminated it, I would want the data to not be used to gauge our kids, like uh, gauge kids in one school or one district and educators in one district, I would want to truly look at it like, okay, let's look at all of the Illinois data. And this would come from maybe a a new position up above in the state department of education. Okay. What is a theme across the state? What is a theme across the country that our kids are maybe missing and use it as a tool to count combat it that way, not Oh, well, Mike, your teachers failed at this part. What are they doing wrong? Like, no, like, I don't, I think we need to look at it as more of a whole if we're going to use it, Um, especially because the way it comes on, you know, three days in March or April or whatever, whenever you take it, it's just, and that's your only shot. Like we give kids options to retake tests in school. I mean, right, they, exactly. They, 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 they can retake our localists. They can retake our, when we do NWEA map, Yeah. if we get a score that we know our kids, we're like, that's not a reflective of what they really can do. We let them retake the map assessment, right? But this, it's kind of like, here you go. One that's day, one shot, one shot. And, this is all you get. Yeah. All right. So, for me, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a veer in a, in a different direction for me. So right now in Arizona, uh, the state legislator uh, decided that they are going to pass a flat tax. That's going to cost the state about $1.5 billion. We are currently 49th in the nation for what we spend on education. 
Uh, we consistently have the highest class sizes in the nation. We consistently have the highest student to counselor ratio in the nation. We continually are at the bottom of the barrel for all of these things. If I could change something about education, I'd like to change the perception and the thought process about how we fund schools. And, and for me, you know, stepping away from my role as, as, as president of a, of a teacher's union and having been pretty in this sort of stuff for the last, I don't know, long time, right? Nine right. years really closely. And then before that on and off as a, as an early career teacher. Um, but for me, I know especially in my state and many other states, we perceive education as a business. Yes, that right. We only spend enough and that's it. We don't want to spend more. And there's this always this idea. And so I remember when I was uh, an early career teacher, um, I got involved in stuff, went to the state capitol, talked to a legislator who said to me, I met him at an event, um, some sort of mixer thing where we had legislators come in and talk to us. And he goes, all right, Josh. So we'd been talking a while. He goes, all right, Josh. So tell me what can we do to fix education, but don't say money. What can we do to fix education, but don't say money. And I said, nothing. He knows that that's the answer. <laughs> nothing. Because everything you want to do to fix education requires some funding. Right. It just does. You want, we know lower class sizes help students. How do you get lower class sizes? Money. Hire more teachers. Hire more teachers, right? Build buildings with more rooms. Right. We know that students do better. We, know, we have all this data. We have all this study that shows what students need to be successful. All of those come with a price tag. Right. But because we treat school or education like a business, we go well, your school's not doing well enough. So we're here's competition. We're going to inject another campus, send the kids to that other building. Instead of going, why are we having, why is this district? Why is this school? What is the issue? How do we support that? Right. Just like what we'd want to do with students. How do you support a student to be successful? We don't, we've decided that we don't do that with schools. We don't support right. schools to be successful. We say you're an unsuccessful school. We're going to pull your kids out and put them somewhere else. Instead of going, what do we do? So I live in, uh, in a city where the school district is great, uh, tons of A schools, but we also have a million charter schools. And I don't want to take a chunk of this episode to, to bag <laughs> on charter schools because I know there are great educators who teach at charter schools. Right, right. But in the state of Arizona, it doesn't take much to open a charter school. You have very little oversight. You don't have to do the same things that our public schools, that our regular public schools do. You don't have to bus kids. You don't have to feed kids. You don't have to do a right. whole number of things. Like people talk about charter schools and I know the Chicago area, bunch of charter schools. Yep. I know like yep. those charter schools are vastly different than the charter schools we have in Arizona where like there are no rules. <laughs> you, can, okay. you can really do whatever you want. There's no board of oversight. None of that stuff exists. I live in a city with a ton of great schools and a ton of charter schools. I live on a road where there are like six charter schools oh, wow. within three, four miles of each other. That's crazy. That is like for people who talk about education as a business, that's bad business. 
Yes, definitely. What we're doing is we're spending money to build a brand new school so that we can take a handful of kids and go like, oh, hey, here's a new school for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry if you can't drive there, kid who goes to the school that could use a facelift or the school that could use a better gym or a school that could use better whatever. You can't drive there, too bad. Your counterpart who has, you know, some, who has the ability, who has, you know, the the privilege to be able to drive to that school, who can get a ride to that school, whose parents can pay in advance for your lunch for the semester, because that's how they rock it at some of these schools. Wow. Oh, you want lunch? Well, we cater lunch in and you have to pay at the beginning of the semester your whole lunch bill. Wow. That takes kids out right now. Right oh, yeah, away. Definitely. That's the thing that's the most frustrating for me as an educator is we know what kids need to be successful. We see it at these schools that we plunk down, right. small class sizes, um, engaging curriculum, buildings that are welcoming and have spaces where students can be successful. Hell, just a, just a multi-purpose room that has, you know, basketball hoops in it or something, right? Right. Ceilings that aren't leaking, all of these things. We know that that works, but instead of just raising some money to do that, instead of increasing taxes or instead of adjusting your budget as a state to pay for those things, we go, nah, we're going to build some brand new schools in it, in it that, that, uh, that don't have the same rules that don't have to do the same thing. And we leave a ton of kids behind. And in Arizona, oftentimes the kids we leave behind are kids in, uh, who are in more urban areas. We leave behind tons of, of students of color because um, they, they can't always, you know, they, they can't always drive to the school farther away. Right. They can't get a ride to the school farther away. And they can't afford to pay for that lunch up front. And instead of focusing in on supporting those communities and building schools that support those kids and paying teachers to work in those communities, because those are often the schools that, that don't, that don't pass an override or don't have a bond that's passed. Right. Or don't have the, the, so in Arizona, we don't have, we don't always use property taxes as a, as a funding mechanism for all schools, but you can use property taxes to give your school bonus money. (laughs) So our schools in my district, we have that, we get that extra money because we pass that, but that doesn't happen in every district. And then in districts, because your property tax base might not be as large, it might not be as big. Right. Right. And, and those are the things that I go like, we know it helps students, but we don't do it. Right. We just leave that funding piece of it behind and we leave kids behind and we don't support all students. We talk this game about all kids. And then we go to our, you know, we go to these schools and I teach in a district and I, I appreciate my district. We have schools that were built in 1958. We have schools that were built in 2002, 2003, right? right. They run the gamut. But we don't get enough money from the state to go in and fix that 1950 school, right? We don't get that. That money got cut and never got brought back. And then when it finally got brought back, it got brought back piece by piece by piece. Right. But for years, we missed all of this money. And so schools couldn't fix stuff. Ugh. And that's the thing that's frustrating to me is we know what kids need to be successful, but we're not willing to, we're not willing to pay for it. 
And I think yeah. that's the frustrating part for me. Like we were just talking to some people who were like, oh man, the property tax rate is really high here. And I go, yeah, but what do your schools look like? Right. <laughs> like what do your schools look like? Let's talk about that. What do you, how much are your teachers paid? What are your class sizes? Right. Let's, let's talk about that compared to, you know, as a place with very, very low property taxes, we have the highest student teacher ratio, one of the highest in the nation highest counselor teacher ratio in the nation. We have some of the lowest paid, our elementary teachers are some of the lowest paid in the nation. Every state around us pays teachers 10 to $15,000 more a year. On oh average. man, that's huge. Yeah, that's, yes. that, that's gigantic. Um, and that's the frustrating part. We know what kids need, but, but we won't do it because I don't, we, we care about our, we have a tendency to care about our kids, and not everybody's kids. Right. Or we have a well, tendency to say like, well, I don't have kids in school. Why do I have to pay for that? And that's, and that's the thing that drives I, me nuts. And that's, that's part of the problem with, with what you're talking about, what I talked about with the assessments. It's, they're not looking at, I mean, schools are here to better our kids, prepare them for the future, but so many don't view it as that. And it's more of a, like you said, it's not, they're not looking at it for, for everybody, which that's what this, country and the world needs to look at it as because i mean look at you grew up in michigan mm -hmm. now you're in arizona like just because you want to care just about your kids in your community right now who's not to say they're not going to travel you know over there right. it's it's it's, like, it's they're all our kids man all of them are exactly and that's that's why things need to change with the funding with assessment with, with how we rank schools i mean it's it's it shouldn't be I could see how you would rank schools, but not as a, Hey, we're look at what we're doing. We're better than you. So like, I know like in Illinois, like, you know, you get up there, you're, you're going to get more funding and money. And it's, it's, it's just ridiculous how, yeah. how it works, but this could be a whole nother, right. Could be a whole, could. That's, that's whole the thing about this of so, like PRC. So what Mike and I want to do uh, this summer is we're inviting guests on to just ask that question. If there's something you could change about education, what would it be? Yep. And you know that both Mike and I probably have a million other things we could tack onto this conversation and other things we could add to it. Um, but we want to talk about, we, we threw it out to the crew. So I've got some stuff I want to share. We threw out the question, crew, if you could change one thing in education, what would it be? And uh, let's, let's talk about um, the amount of stuff we got from standardized testing. Okay. Uh, Right. Kristen, uh, Summer Scarf 7 says less focus on standardized testing. Jeff Kubiak, pal of ours, zero standardized <laughs> testing. Yeah. Uh, Brian Kulak, abolishing standardized testing. Uh, if I wanted things to be standard, I'd work in a factory. Um, we've got uh, Education Conqueror at Ed Conqueror says less of an emphasis on standardized tests. Standardized tests do virtually nothing in regards to fostering love of learning. Um, Evolved Ed, uh, the let's see, the reliance on standardized testing and consequences that it bring, what you talked about. Those are just folks talking about standardized testing. But there were some other good ones in there too. Chuck Moss, our pal Chuck Moss, grading for due dates rather than mastery. Yep. That's a that it's, is a great one. It, I mean, it, it's building it's building a mentality, a culture of compliance, you know, rather than and I hate that. Well, when teachers will say, well, they didn't get it in by the due date. I don't accept late work. Like, and, and we always talk about you. There's so many factors 
with with going on of why maybe a kid didn't get it. I mean, I just I just I don't know. There be, there, there <laughs> should be no due dates. I mean, I could go on. But oh, I, so like, I'm just again, up. like each of these is just something we could just talk about the concept of due dates, right? We could talk about the concept right. of like, are we teaching? Um, kids to turn something in on time? Or are we asking kids to show us mastery what they of know. content or what they know, right? And if a kid may not have been able to like show you that on day five, but they're able to do it on day 10. They've mastered it. They've mastered it. Like, right? So why are you going to penalize them? Everyone learns at different rates. Everyone... Right. You know, some, they just need something extra to, before they get it. Right. So Chris Emanuel uh, at HBM Emanuel says, I would love to change the system to appreciate that adding hours may increase quantity, but there comes a price to quality for all. When they're overworked and stressed, it's quite the feedback loop. So this idea, and we hear about it all the time, add more hours to the day, add right. more days to the school year, do right. more of this, do more of that teachers come in for this PD. We're going to pay you to come in for 10 days over the summer this year. We got these ESSER funds, come back, right? I, I, that's the thing that we have to balance is what's the difference between the quantity of hours and the quality we're going to get out of that. Are yeah. we going to burn out teachers and kids, right? Like I will tell you, we did summer school on almost an, on every campus this year. It's not something we do. Right. Um, we had kids who were, heck yeah, I love this. This is awesome. And I had kids who probably were like, this was two weeks of school too much, right? It just, like, it just, it, I do, like, it's tough for me to say that every hour we add is good for kids, well, right? I, I got to give a, a quote from Martin Silverman. He, uh, I know him through the Teach Better Mastermind. He said a few months back, we were, we were talking about this when everyone was planning their summer school. Yeah. And, and like you said, Josh, everyone did a complete overhaul on summer school, added more days, added more hours to it, added more sections to it. And he said, you know, Martin said, it's, you can't just take crap and more put more crap on it and say it's oh now it's good crap you know like it's no yes. like if, if your summer school program already wasn't good just because you extend it right doesn't mean it's going to be any better like if you have not looked at it's just like a teacher like if you have not looked at their instruction and hey we need to change our approach you can't just add things to it you know right I, and, and, and for us, like, it was nice. We had campuses that were able to do like tumbling and music and all right. these things that we're not normally able to do because of ESSER funding, right? We had right. PE almost every yeah, day for so kids. So that's not something we've been able to do. It was really good for kids. But at the same time, I had great teachers doing great kids with great things with kids over summer school. Right. But when we look and I'm curious is because we all had to do pre and post assessment data. Right. I've seen my campus's pre and post assessment data. I'd be curious to see like, what did we see for three weeks of education? What did we right. see? Did we see giant gains for kids? I don't know. Who did we see big gains with? Who didn't, right. you know what I mean? Like, right. that'll, that'll be interesting for me. I, I'd, I'd love to kind of, this is like the nerd part of me going like, I want to see that data, right? <laughs> right, but, right. Um, so we've got another one. Brittany Elwell Cohen uh, says, change how behavior is viewed. In most cases, behavior issues are a reaction to an unmet need. 
By observing the behavior and its antecedents, we can figure out what students need. This that's powerful is good. This is good. You're right. It like changing how we view behavior. Is it an opportunity to, um, to teach students It's an opportunity to engage students in what it means to, to, you know, have positive social interactions to understand the outcomes of their behavior and what it has on other people. Is it an opportunity to repair harm or is it an opportunity to say, I got you you're bad, right? As opposed to like doing what we know is, is, is right. I mean, we've all seen the memes. Kids struggles in math, you give them an intervention. They struggle in right. reading, you give them an intervention. Struggle in behavior, you punish them. Yeah. All right, now I, I lost. I've got one more. Where is it at? Here it is. Okay. Um, nope. This is great podcasting stuff right here as I'm looking through, <laughs> as I'm scrolling mm. through it. All right, here we go. Miss O's class, where to start? Anyone in education, but not a classroom teacher, um, school district admin, policymakers, testing gurus, they all need to have regular required time assisting classroom teachers in real classrooms. Yes, definitely. Get, get them back in buildings. I like that. I like that. I think that's good. Um, I, you know, like I was able to bu- jump into classrooms a ton during summer school, I was able to pop into rooms, hang out in rooms. I got to play the recorder with a bunch of kids learning how to play hot cross buns for the first time. (laughs) Um, But I wasn't in the classroom teaching, right? And so I know that as I move out of the classroom, those are things that I want to make sure that I'm able to do. I want to be able to spend more time in there. I want to be able to sub a class. I want to be able to do that stuff. Um, You have to, to. we all have to. Uh, move away from letters and numbers, focus on progress. That's from Craig Shapiro. I think that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. Um, our, our pal Alex, uh, at Alex T. Valensick. I can't remember how to say his last name, and I know that I just said it wrong. And Alex, I'm sorry. I think um, we just have to get him on here so we know how to say it. He I'm going to ask him on because yeah. he said this. He says, it isn't something I want to change. It's something I have with an amazing team actually changed professional pressure, professional learning at the district level that has eliminated one size fits all PD. So Alex, you're coming on for the summer series. Um, Jillian Dubois comes on and she says, honestly, we need to get below surface level with our students. We need to know them. Yes, it's hard. There takes time, but there are effective strategies to incorporate into daily routines. Relationships are foundational. That is great. I like that. I can't say it any better. <laughs> right. And our last one, David Lurch says, do away with traditional five day a week school, use more remote days, explore how learning can adapt and change by scheduling non-traditionally. That might be great. That That's yeah. one of those things to explore. Is that a place for kids to, you know, have some time to do some self-learning, some self-guided instruction, that sort of stuff. Those are all things like at the secondary level, would that be really helpful for students? That's, that's a really good question. I like that a lot. It's, I, I like that one too. We, we did that, you know, obviously this year we had four days a week. Monday was, they were on their own kind of catching up and teachers would make contact. But, yeah, you know, a lot of businesses before the pandemic went that way to four days a week to save money in the office. And they saw that their productivity, you know, and I, I could be wrong because I don't have the data in front of me, but their productivity like of employees like went up giving them a third day off or a day they don't have to commute down to the office. Right. right. 
All right. So here, here we got that Mike and I are going to, we've got some guests that are coming on over the summer. We're inviting them in. We're talking to them about this question. We're going to piece together. We have a bunch of mini interviews that we're going to tie together and make this happen. Some of them will probably turn into longer interviews and they'll just be one conversation, but we want to have this conversation with folks. So crew, if you are interested in having this conversation with us and you want to set something up, shoot us a message. Let us know. You can DM us on Twitter or you can uh, send us an email, punkrockclassrooms at gmail.com. You can send us a little message there. We'd love to We'd love to sit and chat and set something up. So Mike, it wouldn't be the Punk Rock Classrooms podcast if we didn't talk about what we're listening to. You That's were right. just up in the old Smoky Mountains, sir. <laughs> Anything that you were jamming out to while you were up there or was it all what the kids wanted to listen to on the drive? What did you No, actually, about? actually, well, so a lot of it was my wife's playlist, but she put something out she makes this these playlists that appeal to everyone so it was kind of nice um at one point yesterday you know it was an eight hour drive my kids watched the entire movie stand by me on the laptop so it was interesting because i haven't seen that movie in forever but i listened to it as they were watching it i can picture (laughs) the scenes but uh at one point um they were all taking a nap so i put on recipe for hate by bad religion man i forgot i mean I, i didn't forget but I haven't listened to that record in so long. And then it brought back some good memories. Recipe for Hate, such a great one. What about That's you? A good one. Uh, so for me, um, I got to I got to run at the beach in California. It was fantastic. So nice. Uh, I had like the best mile times I've had in a long time because the beach. I don't know. There's just something about running the boardwalk and, and just the weather was one, was was awesome. And for me, I listened to... I broke it out, man. I, I'm going to, I've called it out again. It's a good album. I listened to uh, that Be Well album, my favorite album from last year. I today, broke, the, today, the day we're it, recording, yeah. it came out a year ago today. So I broke out that record. It came out a year ago and it was, it, it made my run, man. It made yeah. my run. It was, it was a good one. So that Be Well record, uh, fantastic album. Go check it out. They are, I get to go see them at Furnace Fest in a couple months. Nice. I'm super excited to go see them. Um, but that's what we're listening to folks. Uh, we hope that you have an awesome week that you're enjoying summer. If you get some time, if you are in a building or you're doing some professional development or you're going to a conference, make the most of it, connect with your crew. Uh, and, and you know what? You can find us on all the places at all of them at punk classrooms on Instagram and Twitter. You can find Mike at Mike R Earnshaw on both of those. And you can find me at Josh R Buckley on both of those www.punkrockclassrooms.com is the hub. You can find the blog. You can find some poetry. You can find the shows and show notes. You can find all that stuff there. The merch table is there. If you need a sweet tank top for summer, we've got you (laughs) set to go. Uh, And we're excited to have this conversation with the crew uh, and everybody. It's been good. Give us that good review if you can. We appreciate it. Yeah. Mike and I'll see you at the show. At the show. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We'll see you on the next episode.